You're listening to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode one of season two. Please be advised that today's episode contains graphic details of our guest's personal account of domestic violence. We advise you to proceed with caution as this may be triggering for some. The content shared is emotionally charged and we want to highlight our guest for bravely engaging in this discussion. We hope that our listeners can walk away from this understanding the effects of domestic violence and how you can identify and help a loved one experiencing any form of abuse. Hey, it's Danielle and Zaina, and welcome to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast where we elevate the voices of women by sharing their stories of struggle while also highlighting their success. We wanted to create a space for women to feel like they're not alone in whatever hardship they may be facing. Some conversations may be lighthearted, while others may touch upon taboo topics ranging from mental health to women's bodies and spiritual struggles, and we don't shy away from any of it. But our overall mission is to make every woman realize that she is not alone. We are all in this together, I promise. Our sole purpose is to build relationships, not barriers, between you and the woman who may need you. We're here to provide inspiration and to build courage. Tune in every Wednesday where we'll feature an insightful guest who will help us reach these goals. We laugh, we ugly cry, and we'll probably laugh some more. So plug in your headphones, grab your favorite cup of coffee or shea, and get ready to become a part of this unbreakable sisterhood. You are tuning into season two of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. Guess who's back? Back again. <laughs> I am so excited to be back, you guys. Okay, but we don't want people's ears bleeding. I know, I'm so sorry. I apologize. I'm just so excited. I'm so excited too, you guys. I feel like it's been such a long time. But then again, it was in January that we decided to take our break. And everybody can agree that January was the longest year. Yeah, I was about to say the longest year. I was about to say longest month, but no, that really felt way too long. It did. So much happened this month. And I think it it was a good time to take our break. But also I feel like... I kind of missed out on a lot. Like, I feel like there was so much to talk about. Yeah, I did feel that way too, honestly. But at the same time, I like I, like, I agree with you when it comes to how we took our break and when we took it. Like, we weren't even like, oh, January is the longest month of the year. Let's take it then. No, it was like that moment where we felt like, okay, we're burning out. Let's take this break. But at the same time, I'm glad we took it at that time because there's just too much going on in January. A lot of sad things happened that it was just yes. hard to just even wrap our minds around it. And we're still like... You know, I mean, the death of Kobe Bryant and I, I like, you know, that was that was a wake up call, I think, for everybody. It was. I think it makes people realize that no one is invincible and like everyone has an end date. I know how that sounds so bad, but like it really does wake you up. It's exactly what you need when you're in that rut kind of to like revitalize your your motives and your life and all that. I think it was hard because it was a hard pill to swallow because of how sudden it was and the fact that it was him and his daughter. So really, I put myself in like, I guess in his shoes or his wife's shoes, like how do you lose a family member like that? Are we ever prepared to lose family members? I'm I'm not. I'm, I don't even want to think of that. But for me, it's even harder because you're losing a husband and a daughter. Like losing two people at once, it's I can't even I can't even imagine the pain that she's going through right yeah. now. But it's these reality checks that really like the ones that you never asked for that really truly wake you up. But I feel like it just it does it does wake you up. It, it kind of makes you think about your purpose in this world. Like why were you? What's the purpose of living? What's the what, what's your purpose um, to even just wake up another day? Like what are you going to do today that's different than yesterday? What good are you going to do? And how are you going to help others? And it's like how are you going to leave when you leave this dunya? Are you, what kind of impact have you left behind you? I think it honestly opened our eyes to that. Like. 
instead of us being like zombies every single day doing our you know going to work then coming home and then that's it like no there's more to life and i feel like if it's allah the one that created you is waking you up each day like i don't i don't know it doesn't sink in like there's a reason there's a purpose why you are giving another opportunity to live that's so honestly that just woke me up again i don't want to be morbid no no but but it's 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 so important to realize that like every action you take and every move you make has a reaction you know what i mean and and how you treat people that's your legacy that's what you're leaving behind and no matter how much you get paid at your job or no matter what kind of car you drive that doesn't mean anything it's really how you make people feel i once wrote something that said like we say that if we knew our expiration dates we would live life differently but it's written it's literally written in the Quran that tomorrow's not guaranteed and we still go on living our lives no differently and I felt like that once I don't know I just had that thought I think when I lost my grandparents and then when you have loved ones who lose their loved ones it really opens your eyes like you don't know when your last day is like I don't even know what's gonna happen to me after we're done recording this podcast you know what I mean I know but you don't know so it's like I don't know. We got to pinch ourselves, really like refocus, recalibrate our intentions, renew our intentions and just try our best to do our best. Absolutely. And don't feel guilty for if you feel like you're not a good person or you feel like you're not doing good uh, or you're not even helping your community or anything like that. Or you feel like you're struggling with your faith. Just take this as a wake up call and try to better yourself slowly but surely. So just don't guilt yourself. That's all it is. For me, I think it's all about intentions, too. If you have the intentions of bettering yourself and becoming a good person. I think that's all it takes to make that change. Yeah. Inshallah, this season, honestly, this new season, we're opening it with season two. We just share more incredible stories by these incredible women and just more just stories that really resonate with everybody. And I just hope that we can just come together and just stop I feel like we're always just segregated from one another and I feel like we can do better and we can be more kinder to one another. And I think even with the whole like deal of the century with Trump and Netanyahu and all that, like this stuff is possible because of how fractured we are. Absolutely. There's nobody there to support us Palestinians. We don't have any other Arab country out there to say like, whoa, stop. What the heck are you guys doing? Like you guys can't take Palestine. We're so fractured that that's why this stuff happens. I think it teaches us the importance of being unified and why we have to come together and use our voices you know I'm so I'm so grateful that we have people in our government now who are using their voices to stand up and say like you know this is not right shout out to Rashida yes absolutely and even the people on social media like don't think your tweet isn't making a difference like it really is you're enlightening and you're you're teaching someone why this deal of the century isn't anything it's not it's not right it's not what what we want it's not like we're against peace or whatever it's just so incorrect and it's so wrong and that's why use your voice now more than ever but it's also like just the power of us coming together like yes it's good amplify amplify your voice but we're so much louder when we do decide to come together but even like just even as a community sometimes even like within our communities i feel like we're so fractured how do we expect like other arab countries to support one another you know what i mean it's so true yeah it's we have a lot of work to do but at the end of the day like it's it's possible it's possible to stand together inshallah palestine will be free one day i really hope for it like honestly I really I know it will be free one day but it just saddens me in our lifetime yeah yeah it just saddens me because it's going to be at the expense of more um, innocent Palestinian lives lost like I think that's what really um, saddens me but it's just a lot to take in. That yes, was, yeah. There was more that happened in January, but that's as much as we want to cover for January. I just, I'm so glad it's done with. <laughs> Me too. Oh my so, God. Allah. I'm just happy that it's February. Definitely Black History Month. I There's just so many amazing black women in our community Absolutely. and outside of our community, across all communities that are doing amazing. They're doing so much. So 
So I just love seeing, I wish like this was like every month, to be honest, where the people can just signify that and like amplify the voices of black women and showcase how, you know, incredible they are. They really are. How much they're doing. You know what I mean? To showcase your identity visibly and to be proud of where you come from and who you are. That's that's I love the pride. I love the pride and I love the how unapologetic they are when they want to say something when they want to do and I think a lot of us can learn from that yeah just speak up use your voice and be unapologetic yeah you guys make sure you check out Leah's episode with us and Shay Maz episode with us we definitely touched upon the topics of like just your identity and how you carry it visibly and they were just incredible I yes. love sitting down with both of these women and they're amazing and I just I we love following them and just seeing them on their journey and how much they've yes. accomplished since the last time we recorded with oh, them. absolutely but you guys it's gonna be our one year what anniversary. is it birthday yeah. anniversary in March which is coming up so what we want to do is signify it with a celebration hosting a little event here in chicago yes inshallah yes it's gonna be on march 14th at two o'clock i think well no, we're hoping it's gonna be two you guys you know arabs are always late so like we can never plan anything at two o'clock no i'm really serious <laughs> it has to be you guys two to five it's gonna be march 14th at watan which is in orland park it's gonna be an incredible event we're gonna be having a lot who's gonna basically give the amazing conversation or she's gonna talk about just you know our transition from the winter season to the march se- yes. to the spring season and just like how our bodies kind of go in tune with nature and that's why we're always down and depressed in the winter because yeah. she said like you nothing blooms in the winter have you not noticed everything's like, dark and gloomy and everything blooms basically in the springtime it's like that's when your ide- ideas come about and i'm like that's so true because we created our podcast in march yes. like that's when we started it's like, like the perfect timing and i'm it's our first event that we've ever hosted yes um, i'm excited i'm nervous but i think it's gonna go well and, and hopefully the community comes out to support us yeah we'll give you guys more details um we're definitely gonna have it catered inshallah it's gonna be a nice event um just a bunch of us girls just talking and i want when I say we want to have open and honest conversations, basically after Alet holds her discussion, we just want to open the floor to whatever's on your comments, mind. Comments, questions, all that stuff. Yeah, let's talk about everything and anything. And we're going to have gift bags, all that good stuff. But most importantly, if you guys want to sponsor our event, please let us know. If you want to add any products from your brand into our gift bags, let us know for the decor, backdrops, anything, anything that comes to your mind and reach you want to help us, yeah. yeah, in any which way, just please reach out to us. But yeah, so inshallah, you guys can stay tuned for more details. We'll have our event page up pretty soon. But let's move on to today's episode. It's a pretty serious topic. We chose to have our guest uh, be anonymous, but that's also because that's upon her request. And her children don't know the extent of the abuse that their mother endured. So obviously, we want to respect her and her wishes. And we definitely wanted to keep it anonymous um, for her. It's a pretty triggering episode. I know we had the trigger warning early on, but um, she really does go into detail and the thing is we've allowed her to say her story to whatever extent that she wanted to say whatever she was comfortable with so you're going to hear a lot of details it's pretty graphic it is sad it's uh, it's a lot of you know she endured a lot yeah so if you are you know someone who's gone through this or know someone who's gone through this and you feel like this episode might not be the one you want to listen to we have a ton from season one so go back and listen to those and hopefully um those who do decide to listen can take away something from this. Yeah. And not to give like my personal story away, but I feel like I did like I, I kind of related so much Mm -hmm. to um, our guest and everything that she was saying. And it kind of opened up my eyes to how the characteristics of these abusers are pretty similar. The same. Yeah. So please like any, any characteristics or any red flags that she's giving you guys, like allow yourself to open your eyes to that. Like do not justify the red flags that you see right now currently in your relationship, in your marriage or whatever relationship you have. Any friendships even sometimes are abusive. You know what I mean? Just like open up your eyes to this and realize that 
these abusers kind of almost they're similar manipulative in the way, yeah. yes in the way they handle these things like um the way they you know start abusing their partners basically and again um this is a woman saying her story but we also want to acknowledge the fact that men get abused oh absolutely it happens so often i think we're always blinded to that and we don't really acknowledge the fact that like there are men who can who are getting abused whether it's physically or emotionally or verbally and it's something that does need to be discussed yeah and of course i don't feel like we have to say this but we are sharing stories from our community but at the same time that's not us indirectly saying that this is only this only happens in our community i know many women across all communities all faiths everywhere that go through this especially abuse i feel like it's very common but it's something that i said in a stamp the other day i don't want to normalize domestic abuse or domestic violence but i do want to normalize the conversations around them there are a lot of women who fear speaking out against their abusers because of the consequences that they may face from their abuser and sometimes unfortunately from society who doesn't believe the woman like i just don't understand that concept like what do you want her to do when she's getting abused you literally want her taking pictures as it's happening it's a very emotional triggering traumatic event that happens in the lives of these men and women who are getting abused so just i hope that when you listen to the story that you open your eyes um when it comes to your own family and friends if you do feel like your friend is going through something or whatever just help her or him be supportive don't just you know shoo them away or just like what is it i can't find the word basically just not acknowledging the pain that they're going through right, anything right. That they're going through and i think someone who is going through something might not want to acknowledge it might not want to talk about it that's when you need to be there the most I think like just because they tell you oh nothing's going on always try to be there because if you have a gut feeling most likely that gut feeling is right yeah but our uh our anonymous guest it was her friend that basically opened her eyes like her friend I don't want to give it away but Mm -hmm. it was her friend who had to stand up to her tell her face to face like you need to do something about this. Something's you need wrong. to stop sweeping this under the rug. This is not right. And no matter what, there is absolutely no justification for any type of abuse. I don't care if it's verbal, emotional, or mental, basically. You know what I mean? It's it, Abuse is abuse. You know absolutely, what I mean? Yeah. And the wounds stay there regardless of what kind of abuse that you endure. And then when it comes to our outro, you guys, um, once we're done with this episode, please stick around because we have a whole list of resources that we've provided for anybody that's going through anything. And these organizations are so amazing and so incredible of how they help their community and all the resources that they provide themselves it's it's amazing and we've had um all these organizations vetted as well so you can definitely trust them and as always zane and i are here we're going to help you to the best of our ability or we're going to make sure that we guide you to the right resources yeah absolutely so let's dive into this episode it's a pretty heavy one but i think it's a topic that we haven't discussed yet and that needs to be discussed inshallah let's do it So this is a pretty heavy topic to discuss. Domestic violence is never easy to just bring up. And especially because I feel like sometimes it does still to this day trigger emotions. I mean, it's been over 10 years now for you that you've left your situation. Alhamdulillah. But at this point, there are still moments where you do take yourself back to the past and you still kind of relive these memories. But I really want to thank you for sitting down, for joining us and you really wanted to discuss your story because you want to truly help other women in this situation. And Zena, you and I have had plenty of women coming into our direct messaging in Instagram who say, we want to hear another woman's story about domestic violence. I'm in a situation like this at this moment, and I don't know what to do. And sometimes you have to hear somebody else's story to understand that first, you're not alone. 
And second, you can be a survivor. You can transition from a victim to a survivor. It is 100% possible. I think we can start from the very beginning of how you met your ex-husband and and where did everything kind of go wrong or what was the first initial red flags of everything going wrong? So initially met him through a family friend. His parents and my parents actually know each other. And believe it or not, it was actually a love match. So um, I was 17 years old. He was, I think, uh, 21. The sad truth is, I think I was kind of attracted to that bad boy attitude of his. He was raised in the States. And again, it was it was a love match. Uh, we were talking, again, uh, long distance for a good year and a half uh, before he officially proposed. I think that's important that she, you do say that it's long distance. I think that's an added factor to the point. Do you really know somebody that's long distance? And I'm not, I don't want to make anybody feel like they're ashamed of talking to somebody long distance because you can get to know somebody. But I, but at the same time, this person's not in front of you. So there's a lot of no. things that you're missing out on. No, and this is probably when there wasn't FaceTime and there wasn't Skype and you weren't really, oh, no. it was all phone calls. Like it's, it adds another level of like, what do you really like? You know, talking on the phone with someone is very different than seeing them face to face. How did you keep in touch with him? Can I, can we mention, sorry, that the, this was about what, 15 years ago? It was like in the early, early 90s. Yeah. So I was in high school and we didn't have, like you said, we didn't have WhatsApp. We didn't have Skype. We didn't have social media, none of that. So uh, he had gotten me a, um, a Skype pager. I would text him, like I would call him for free from any pay phone. So yes, a pay phone. I just said it. And then <laughs> um, he would call me back at the pay phone that I'm at. So I would call him from the pay phone from school and I would speak to him during lunchtime. I would speak, to, I would call him from when I was at work. Um, because mind you, again, it's my parents didn't know about it for a good year and a half. That's how we got to speak to each other. But you're absolutely right. I don't think not to say anything wrong about long distance, but you really don't know a person unless you've actually been in their element and seen and experienced how they deal with life situations. And they're also given mine. I think I share that that. Given what I've went through with him, I would have never honestly married him if I seen how his family was. And I completely agree with you. I think even I feel like for us out of women, it's hard to kind of get to know somebody in their family because when you're getting to know somebody, it's kind of not out in the open just yet. So you don't know his family. And I feel like there's a huge that's a huge factor to be able to see how they interact with their family. I think it tells a lot about somebody and how they are and how their relationship is with their friends and their family and even just outside people in general. How did your parents feel about this? Because you basically were getting to know him without them knowing just yet. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, you know, I'm, I'm 17 years old. You know, I met him and I was like, immediately in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to marry him. So I didn't see anything. So when he did officially propose at the time, of course, we were going to weddings, we we're going to parties. I was involved in a lot of DEPCA groups. So people would see me and people would come and ask for my hand. And my dad immediately would say like, shut it down. No, this girl's finished school. No, my daughter's too bright. Done. She's too young. So when he came and asked for my hand, my dad suspected and like, you know, and I said, yeah, like I did. And I told my mom and I, I remember like honestly sitting in a park with my mom and telling my mom and my mom saying, he's not good enough for you. Like she said, mom, just don't, it's not worth it. I don't agree with it. And I was like, mom, you don't know he's different. And of course I'm like defending someone I really don't know now looking back at it, but you know, your parents do, they do know. I mean, they do know what's best. So against my parents' wishes, you know, I think my dad loved me. And I think 
Allah yarham ya Rab. I think that they didn't know the full picture themselves. They just felt like I was too young to get married, and he was not him and his family because they knew more were not actually someone that I should have any relationship with. They thought I deserved better. Yeah, I mean, at seventeen, listening to your mom say. He's not good enough for you. Don't do it. It's kind of like it goes through one ear out the other. You don't want to hear that when you really want something at 17, you're going to go for it. You're going to do it regardless of what people who know better than you are telling you to do. I mean, I, I know that if you could go back in time and tell your 17-year-old self to stay away, I'm sure you would. But when you're in that situation, it's just so hard because you're getting sucked in, into like the nice little things he's telling you. And I mean, at 17, any girl would fall victim to that you were under his love spell and it was easy for you to succumb under this fog but here are your parents they're outside of this they see who you're trying to get married to and they know that he's not good enough for you and subhanallah like i feel like at the age of 17 we're we're babies we're literally babies yeah. did you even experience life you didn't even get to go to college at that point and that's why i think i stress enough when i have daughters i'm not going to be okay with them talking to somebody at that young of an age not not because i just want them to fully come into terms to who they they are and what they want but at that age you don't know you i mean I, everybody was at that point yeah. you get and a crush 17, on somebody you like them bad boy image yeah. i mean he fit everything in our minds we're adults at that age yeah 17 i met him at 17 he asked my hand i was 18 and then at 19 and a half i was married like it was maybe i got engaged i think it was november we had the engagement party and then we were married in june and another one i wanted a longer engagement my parents wanted a longer engagement my parents actually did not want me to get married for two years. My mom and dad actually said, I think that you should finish, get your general education classes, and then go ahead and move and get married. But they were worried, again, maybe that was a red flag. Not Thinking back about it, they were worried that I think if we had a long engagement, that I'd eventually break up with him. When I think about it now, even saying it, like, why? Why would you, if you're, if there's nothing wrong with the picture, why would I break up the engagement? So yeah, he was just, again, it's that bad boy image. It was like, like he, he sent me flowers to my girlfriend's house. We have like, we would write each other letters. He would send me poems, which by the way, I found out later on that he never wrote, but again, whatever oh, no. it is, what it is, like it is what it is. I kind of try to find humor in my story. And, and it's so ironic that Every time I left him, I would take them with me. The final time, I never took any of the love, love, love letters. I left him. I was like, that's in the past, done. So yeah, 17, at 17, 18, 19, you don't know any better. You don't, you really, you're not an adult. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Before even moving on to the red flags, I really do want to emphasize the point that your parents were not all for this. So I think sometimes when you think of domestic violence, you think of situations like this, the first thing you think is like, well, were there, was this an arranged marriage? Was she forced into this marriage? This was a marriage based on love. You actually loved him. Yeah. But this is another great point when it comes to domestic violence situations. This actually plays a great role when you do love the person. It, it really kind of hinders you and it allows you not to leave a situation because you still, this is somebody in your mind your mind has told you you love this person so it's kind of hard for you to fully come into terms to want to leave this person because they're the same the same person you love is the same person that's abusing you but can we go into the red flags that you noticed right away from even just being engaged before you even married him yeah so of course I was going to school and my parents one of the things maybe it's because I was the youngest you know we, my dad has seven girls and I was like second to youngest. My dad was much more lenient with the younger girls than he are, he, they normally are with the older girls. And my dad used to say, you know, as long as anything, if you're not doing anything wrong, Baba, and you do it in front of my face and you have nothing to be scared about. So my dad knew I had, for example, friends in high school 
And I tended to have more guy friends. And my dad would, because we didn't live far from school, if my dad saw me outside, he'd pull up. And I'd tell my friends, like, don't run, because my dad will get out and run after you. And my dad wouldn't, my dad would meet him, uh, meet my friends. He didn't like the fact that I was working. He would tell me, like, stuff, you don't have to work. And this is your ex-husband saying this? This is my this. ex. Even this is before even we got, even got engaged. This is like when we were talking, you don't have to work. Right. There were incidents, I say, when I'm on the phone at work, like say if I'm on the phone with him and I'll put down the phone to help a client, I would talk to customers and I'm like, okay, you know, have a wonderful day. And they're like, okay, sweetheart. And, and he would hear it's a guy, he would have a strict, huge issue. Why is he calling you a sweetheart and, and, and stuff like that. So he didn't want me to have any guy friends. He didn't want me to work when we did have our fights, like our arguments, like he'd, you know, again, no social media, no Facebook, no nothing, none of that stuff. Like he would go a while not talking to me. Like he, and I would just think, how do you do that to someone you love? Because I'm just not that type of person. And so it was, and then the, a couple of the red flags that led now thinking about it with his parents, they had control over what was happening in our engagement. They had in control over what was happening with our wedding. They had control, like she wanted, um, she didn't feel like I should get a diamond ring. Like, and I was like, I don't need the hub. I want that. No. I mean, stuff that just the control that he got from the outside and that he could not speak his mind. That is a big flag. If you, if he's having influence by others and I know it's very typical for Arab. I know it is, but realistically, I feel like if you're ready to get married, you need to be able to make the decisions too. Like your own decision, stick with it. But his influence is, I, I, the red flag now thinking about it is just that the fact that he couldn't even be a man enough to do certain things. And it wasn't even about the diamond rings. Forget about the diamond room. It was just every little factor. So it was, you know, I have her and now I don't have to make the effort to keep her. So now looking back, I feel like sometimes when we look back at situations, then we see those red flags and we're like, oh, that's where it went wrong. But at your age, in your you know late twenty, late teens, I mean, was that something that you were saying, oh, this is bad, or was it like, okay, I'm going to sweep this under the under the rug, put a smile on my face, and kind of just move on with it? Oh, absolutely. Because and one, I would have never told my like, I've never told my mom and dad that he, for example, I never told my mom and dad that because of the long distance phone calls, like he wasn't calling me. I was coming out of my own pocket to like quarters to put for the payphone because even though you're the sky pager, like he'd still have to physically call. So his dad would see the bell and he was like, no, this is too much because my parents would have said, excuse me, like you're still in the chutbah. You're still in the engagement period, buddy. Like you still got a pamper for this girl. My parents would have saw that. Um, I didn't tell my parents when he would, wouldn't talk to me for a while. So I swept it underneath the rug because to me, all I can think about is marrying him, the white dress. I was still, I, Again, very naive, very naive. I think we're all naive because that's such a great point that you made. The fact that like we look forward to the point where we get to walk down the aisle, that white dress, the everything, and then us, it stops. It stops there. We don't think beyond the wedding. If we thought beyond the wedding, we would really truly think like this. I'm somebody that wants to stay in school. I'm somebody that wants to work. I'm somebody that wants to be independent. But right now at this point, he's telling me, no, I don't want all these things for you. So we stop at the whole like fantasizing about our wedding and we forget that. What, what about the after that? After that? Then what? You're yeah. living with this person. And also one more thing that when I think about red flags, we justify these red flags. We switch them up and we paint all, them different colors. Yes, exactly, Zaina. Because him saying, I don't want you to work, I'm pretty sure he followed it up with, oh, I'm going to support you, right? Oh, 100%. He was, and I, that you said it, like, so for him to tell me, for example, like, Habiti, you don't have to work. 
Like, I'll send you money. I was like, oh, my God, this guy wants to treat me good. Do you understand? It wasn't about the fact that he wants to take my sense of independence, because that was step one of taking your sense of independence away. But I saw, like, oh, my God, this guy loves me so much, he doesn't even want me to work. Like, he wants to pay for me. And he would. He would be like, I'd give you money. I'd, I'll give you more money than you would ever make at work. And But it was just the thought of taking my... I didn't see that the fact that he was... He had he needed control over me. I just thought that, wow, he was spoiling me. And then you also think like, oh, he doesn't want you talking to guys because look how much in love he is with me. He wants me He's for himself. Jealous. He wants to protect you. Just yeah. PSA: yeah. a domestic abuser is not going to come out and flat right tell you, "I'm going to domestic, I'm going to abuse you." Yeah. They do things slowly but surely, indirectly, and they slowly change you and condition you. They really look at you as somebody that they can easily condition, but they take their time with it. So now you guys are engaged. You guys are done with the engagement period. You got married because like everybody else, you kind of do sweep those things on the rug, like Zena said. How was the marriage? Did things like did some of the red flags kind of ignite more or did they kind of dissipate? What happened? No, I so, of course, I move and I move across the country from my parents. I have no friends, no family. At the time when we first, we were living on our own. It was me kind of adjusting to my new life you know, the the abuse, the sad truth is, and I know I want to say it didn't really start right away, but two months within the marriage, it did start. It did start. So I would feel like he wasn't, um, he hated the fact, it started with little things like, I, you know, I, I grew up with the attitude that my parents would say, like my dad, I didn't want to learn how to drive. And my dad was like, okay, about you don't want to learn how to drive, you better learn how to take public transportation because I'm not picking you up and dropping you off. So I learned how to get to everywhere I needed to get on my own. So I learned public transportation. And where I was currently living, public transportation was the best way to go, get around. In the beginning, we had made a decision we were not going to have babies. Like, I would not have a child for at least two years, um, given the fact that I wanted to go to school and then get pregnant. And then worst case scenario, I'll only have like one year that I'll have where my child has been born that he'll I'll have, have someone watch him. But otherwise, my you know college should be already uh, halfway done, even more than halfway done. So I was, I had already started on birth control prior to me getting ma married. And of course, you know, the, they, they run out. So I'd asked him like, I need to go get them. And he's, his mom said no. And he was like, yeah, I don't want to. And I was like, I was like, we made this agreement that this was something that you were going to do. He said, well, when my mom says, um, realistically that if you have, a, if you're on birth control, you should have your first child because birth control will prevent you from having a child. Okay. Like, you know, I hate to use the word, I hate to use the word fake news, but it really is fake news. And I'm like, you kidding me? So I was like, okay. And he was like, I'm not paying for it. So I was like, okay, fine. So I learned where to go, how to get my birth control. And I went and I went and got like a public transportation, got my, got my birth control. And of course it's going to, whatever they're giving you, they're giving you temporarily. So I got about six months worth six months or I don't know from three to six months worth of birth control. I honestly don't know. And they, she flipped out like his mom flipped out and he was, he would be so up. He, he was so upset with me. Even the last, I think towards the end of my packets, I would take the birth control secretly because he hated and did not want me to take birth control because he wanted me because his mom said, you need to have a child. So we need to have a child. So the control, like, I won't do it. I won't do anything for you. I'm not going to support you. You went back on the promises that he made. If I needed to get to know, if I needed to get somewhere, I'd have to learn. So there was like a grocery store down the block. They hated the fact that I would walk to the grocery store 
why? Why would I walk to the grocery store? I should be able to call his mom and have her come pick me up. From my point of view, I said, why do I in need to inconvenience anyone to come like across town to take me to the grocery store? I'll walk. I'll use that as a way for me to do my exercise. They hated the fact that I, like I would go to the library, get packs of books. I'd clean up my apartment and then I would sit down and read or I'll watch TV. Um, they hated the fact that I would sit at home by myself. They could not understand why that I enjoyed my quality time. So they would do stuff like, I was telling Dunya, the days that he worked at his dad's store, the day that he opened up his dad's door, he'd go up and open up early in the morning. I'd have to be ready by 10 o'clock in the morning and my father-in-law, God rest his soul, would come pick me up and take me to stay at his parents' house where his mom would leave. And I would stay in the house all day long until my ex now would pick me up. And mind you, his shift finishes at three, but no, 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 he wouldn't come pick me up at three. He would go hang out with his friends. He would, whatever, maybe he didn't pick me up sometimes until like close to the earliest he's ever picked me up was like maybe seven, eight. He would pick me up at nine o'clock at night after he's done. Um, because I'll believe it or not, also the, the, one of the things that we realize that we may, that we do that's wrong with our sons is that we don't give our sons their independence. So sometimes our sons also get married to get out of the house just as much as a girl gets married to get out of the house. So he, you, his, his marriage to me gave him an excuse where he can go and do his own thing, but he forgot that he still had a wife. And then the days that he closed the store, he would drop me off to his dad's house at one o'clock in the afternoon before he would go. And then he wouldn't come pick me up until one o'clock in the morning because it was, how could I sit at home by myself? Like to this day, I can think about like, why, like what, what's the problem that they had with it? They could not believe that I can be my own person. It's like dropping you off at daycare, basically. Yes. That's so true. Yeah. That's to put it that way. But th it's very common because I've heard these stories before. Like when you're saying I'm not in shock because there are a lot of people that just don't understand how my daughter-in-law can have her own life. She needs to come and literally be stuck at my hip. Either she should be helping me clean the house. We should be conversating every single day. I should know everything, all her whereabouts. But I, it's a great point that you also said that even guys, you guys, it's not just women that like young girls that get married to have the freedom that they never had at their parents' house. Even guys ha have to like, you know, they feel the same way. Like you said, uh, we understand that like his parents are now also controlling. So you, you see, and this is why you said earlier, you wish you seen how he interacted with his family, because I think from that point in the engagement period or even prior to the engagement period, you don't know that they have such control over him that that's not something you want to, you know, be a part of. When did it become physical at this point? Because I feel like at this point, you're getting psychologically abused where you're being treated like you're a child. You have to be by us at all times. So when did the psychological, emotional abuse turn into physical abuse? So two months into the marriage, and it's so funny because I can pinpoint for you every argument that he would have with me and what, I'm so sorry, what ass beating I got. But for some reason, that first fight, I cannot tell you why. I cannot tell you why he picked on, why. All I can tell you is, is that I can remember getting hit. I can remember that it, I was in, so in shock because it wasn't a slap in the face. It wasn't a slap in the face. It was a heavy duty, you're getting punched type of hit. Like it didn't start off like, most people think, oh, the abuse started off with a slight. No, 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 no. He went all out. And I remember going to bed, like literally he hit me and I went into the room and I sat on my bed and I, I, I don't know if you, you get to the point where you can't cry, like you want to cry, but you can't cry because you're in shock. So I'm sitting in bed and, and I don't know. And I, I just, I, I not decided I needed to go to the user bathroom. So I walked out and it's like in a hallway 
and he's sleeping in the couch. And uh, I passed, it's a small little hall, a small little in-law. And as I passed the hallway and I walked in, I fainted and fainted. So looking back, maybe he had hit me so hard that I just, I don't know what it was. All I can remember is I woke up to him kicking me in the stomach because he thought that I faked fainting. So I, I just, I, 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 to this day, I can think about like, what would, what would cause him to do that? Like what, what did he think that that I, I was so, yeah, let me give me, go ahead and beat me up a little bit more. So the next day I was in, I, the next day I couldn't even fathom. I couldn't, I didn't want to go to his parents' house. And oh, by the way, the way that he made it up for me is that he didn't let me go to his mom's house that day. I got to stay at home. I didn't go have to go to the daycare that day. I think, I think from his point of view, he didn't want me to, his parents, I don't know if he, he didn't want me to tell his parents. I don't know if he felt if I left the house that I wouldn't come back. Or I thought if he was, if he was rewarding me, all I know is I kind of sat at home and I didn't know, do I pick up the phone and tell my mom and dad? I couldn't, I'm in, I'm in shock. I'm shocked that this is a person I love. This is a person that when we got married, even though it was a love match, there was a lot of conflict involved with our marriage. So I went against my parents' best wishes to marry him. How do I call my parents up right now and say, he just beat me up to the point that I fainted. And by the way, dad, I woke up to him punching me in the face. It's punching me in the stomach. Immediately I knew I was not gonna call my parents, but I just couldn't, I, 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 I mean, I, I, I have the shame. It's so sad that you, you feel like you're like, it's shameful for you to say it, but yeah. So for whatever it was, that was the first time that he hit me. Later on, he called me and he said, I'm so sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I'd never do it again. The one I swear I, I would be a millionaire right now if I can get a, a penny for every time he said that to me. Um, I'd never do it again. Came home, took me out. He said, get dressed. We're going to go out with our friends. And my got dressed and I went and put a, that was the first beginning of putting a front for everybody. I want to make one thing very clear. Abusive partners don't start out abusive. They start out as lovey-dovey. They start out as any other relationship. So when abuse does happen, I think in our minds we write it off. Oh, he had a bad day at work. Oh, something must have happened and it triggered him. Or, you know, we make excuses for that person. Was that something that you were doing at that instant, at that moment? Later on, yes. At that incident, at that time, no. At that time, I think I was shocked. Yeah, at that time, your body takes over you. Like, you're literally shocked right. because how do you, how do you, literally, your mind, how does your mind come to terms with seeing the person that you love physically abuse you, but physically abuse you to the extent that there's literally, he's literally punching you, like, to the point where you are fainting. So one more punch could have killed you. I'm not yeah. even exaggerating because this yeah. is how, how horrible it is. I think initially, as a, a victim, your body is just so numb. You can't, even, like you said, you can't even cry you can't even cry to that extent because you are in so much shock that your body takes over your mind and you don't know what to do and you can't make sense of it and even when he's telling you oh look you don't have to go to my parents house oh look I'm gonna take you out listen I apologize for doing this you are now you went from being in the shock phase to the numbing phase where you're still trying yes. to make sense of it you're trying to make sense of something that cannot be made sense out of and you 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 would like at that time I'm thinking okay it's a one-off incident he would never do that again like, look, he feels remorse. And to answer, like, I think I answered your, yeah, I would have never, no, I would, I was never, I wasn't making an excuse for him. I just, like I said, that incident in the beginning, the beginning portion of our marriage, the beginning portion of the beatings, I could not put a 
reasoning to why. It's as if I was, like you said, I said, I, little by little, I started losing me. I didn't, I wasn't me. The bruises go away, but the, the impact of the physical abuse, and especially there's also always the mental abuse that comes with it too, because you're made to feel you're, you're unworthy. Like, who are you? You start to lose yourself. And then before you know it, you're not, you don't recognize who, who's on the other end. And that's what happened to me. So that was the, that was the first one. There was another time that was telling Dunya that um, the first time I got my first black eye, it was an argument over something. This is, I feel like, where the impact of his family came in. Someone mentioned that I had said something or I did something. And there was, let me get this clear. There's never a reason for a man or a woman to put their hands on each other. Never. But he would find reasons to come home. And it was like, you did this. So guess what? You're getting this with it. So there was a incident with his sister and I did the, the mature thing to do is if I had a problem with you, I call you up on it and I'm respectful, but how could I approach someone and talk to someone in front of them and like confront her, confront her? They would have preferred to believe it or not that I talked behind her back and called say it in front of her face. So because I confronted her and I called her out on it, I got, he came home that night and he started arguing with me and I said, and of course I'm not disrespectful in any way. But I'm like, you can't. I was like, your sister's wrong. So out of nowhere, first thing, he punches me. <sighs> so sad. But I, got to, I tell you guys, I, you laugh. You want to cry at one point, then you want to cry. You want to laugh. But you become a pro. You become a pro on how to cover the black eye. And I covered the black eye. And the sad truth is he left the house. He punched me, hit me. He, of course, it, it wasn't just a punch. He hit me, punched me in the face. I'm sitting in now on the couch crying crying, sitting crying, like, I don't know what to do, honestly. I can't call my mom and dad. I feel alone. He comes home like three o'clock in the morning and I get up and I'm sleeping on the couch. I fell, on, fell asleep on the couch. And that's when he noticed I had the black eye because I didn't even know that I had the black eye. He noticed I just busted her eye. This is so sad because it's like, you do mention like he isolated you. He literally took you away from your family. You're all alone. You're dealing with this abuse. You, you're you even covering up his abuse. I don't think yeah. anybody understands the mental state of a victim. And I, and I think the worst thing you can tell somebody that's a victim is, well, why didn't you leave? There's just yeah. so many oh, factors. Yeah. When you are not surrounded by your loved ones, you're in an, air, in an environment that it's unknown to you to this point. He did not wait. He took the first two months and did what he had, what he wanted to do. And, and the thing is, like, I love that you said that. I appreciate the fact that you said there should never be a reason why you should get abused. There's no excuse for physical abuse. But you even told me a story as small as what was the cleaner story that like his sister went and picked up? That was it. So it was it was the fact that I had his sister. We had gone to a wedding and I had dropped off clothes, um, a dress. And I said, she said she's going to the cleaners. And I said, can you do me a favor? And can you pick up my dress? So she picked up a few dresses for me. Thirty dollars. I get a call from him telling me how could I allow his sister's husband? How, how do I take money from his sister? Because now her, her husband is going to feel like he's not taking care of me. He's not giving me money. Like stuff. So I got the impact of, I hate to say the word jealousy, because I'm not a snob. I'm not, I'm not that type of person. But I felt like the jealousy of my, in, the sense of independence and my ability to connect with people sometimes, they use that against, they hated that. And they try to break that down. One of the things that I feel like I, it's the, the hardest thing for me to forgive, forgive them for is that evilness that 
they had in them. Like that behind the doors, I'm going to stab you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I know how your husband is, so I'm going to fuel the fire. I wouldn't say they got pleasure out of it, but why would you instigate? Why would you do stuff like that? And to the sad truth is, is if I fast forward now, that's the reason why my kids want nothing to do with them because of what they did that impacted them all. And we both agreed earlier that like, you know, like that you have the right to be mad at them. You have every right to be mad at them because they caused the abuse. But at the same time, all of it also falls on to your ex-husband because he was the one that was physically abusing you. So why I wanted you to bring up that story, because I want to let people know, like, not only did you feel like you didn't have your family, not that your family didn't support you, they just didn't know what was going on, but you also didn't even have his family. You had nobody. No. You're sitting in this house with a, a with an abuser by yourself, not knowing what's his next move. You're living now in a state of fear. So you're transitioning from this is the person that I love, this is the person I defied, like I went against my parents and I married him, to now this is somebody that I am stuck in this house with and he's abusing me and I don't know what to do when did you decide that you guys were ready to start a family especially when the abuse was still going on yeah so of course there's like there's things in the background i'll just say like there's i've never been up he's never been upfront with me on decisions major decisions in my life in our lives whatsoever and let me backtrack there was one incident and he thought it was by the way he thought it was amusing to have control over me there was an argument one day that i told him you he said to me, we we're arguing it over the phone, and he was at the mahal at the store, and he said to me, you, you need to understand that if you need to go to the bathroom, you need to ask me permission. Do you know that line that he used? That line was used against me for 13 years of marriage from other family members. They would throw it back in my face. He said to me, if I needed to go to the bathroom, I needed to ask him to per permission. We decide. He decides that he comes to me with a thing that we're going to uh, save money and we're going to move in with his parents, whatever, so he can buy a house, whatever it may be. And I'm, I'm gullible. I'm like, yeah, okay, good. We'll buy a house. What a great idea it is. And within six, six or seven months of marriage, we moved in with his parents. And guess what? I have no more birth control. And now my comings and goings are going to be accounted for. So I can't go get birth control because I'm not allowed. I hate to say it but I'm not allowed to go and come as I please. Because now I say it all the time, I was like Cinderella without the charming prince. Because now I'm obligated to sit at home, take care of his, his family. So I found out I was pregnant early part of the year, found out the family was excited. Oh my God, she's gonna have a baby. And to me, I thought that if I, now that I'm pregnant, he would treat me better. He would not put his hand on me. Because how could he put his hand on someone that's carrying his child? Oh, please. Pregnancy actually, I think, makes the man even more, I, I hate to say it, I think I got more, I got more beatings when I was pregnant than I did when I wasn't pregnant. And it doesn't give them, there's no stop button. At this point, if I left the food outside, if I didn't throw out the trash or take out the garbage, if I talked to the neighbor next door for too long, and there was a neighbor next door, we talk, and then her husband would come in and we'd have a conversation and we sit outside and talk, talk. She was pregnant, I was pregnant. How could I talk to the neighbor and her husband? So when I was upstairs in my room and he's at work, I don't know that they're in there filling his mind with these things. And he would come home. And when he would come home, believe it or not, he would bypass my room, our room, go in, have this discussion with his parents, then come back into the room and then wake me up and tell me 
you did A, B, C, D, E. How many times I got to tell you? And it would start off with a backhand against my lip and go in. And it, he would be beating me in the room to the, there's no way come hell high water that his, fa his family members do not hear it. They would hear it. And the sad truth is they would walk right past it. Looking back on it now, I can never see that I've, that my boys doing disrespecting anyone and me not standing up and saying, hey, let alone to allow yourself to get beat. I left the makluba out one day. How could I leave food outside? How could I not leave it and put it in a fr fridge? I got, I got hit for that. I would go, I would be cleaning up the house all day long, right? And at night they would have visitors. You know how we are, they have visitors. My mother-in-law would never even be in the house. She'd come home to a sparkling house. So I'd clean up the house, go in and take a shower. I was told, you ready for this? That when certain family members came over that I should not take a shower, come downstairs with my head wet, because that family member would imagine me in the shower. Oh my God. Oh my God. Of course, we're living out with his parents. He's hitting me for any reason. And one incident, he hit me to the point, I ran out of the room. So when you run out of the room, the stairs are to my left. So I'm at the stairs and he pushed me down the stairs. I'm pregnant. That's the first time I left him. I landed. I was, of course, barefooted and pregnant. <laughs> I ran out of the house. I was hoping, hoping in my heart a cop would find me. I was hoping someone would find me to force me to admit to my parents what was going on and to leave. And I found myself in a cemetery and I sat there for two hours and I'm crying because I don't know what to do. I don't know how do I explain that this man that I love so much can do this to me. And how do I explain that I have such, I couldn't, at 19, I can't think that people can be that mean because we're not like that. I got home two hours later, he had gone. I walked into the room. I heard his grandmother say, go get her. She's hungry. And she said, my mother said, the one is hungry, Lijana. Whoever's hungry can come down and eat. I sat in my room all day. The next morning I wake up and I get a call from him. I'm getting ready for school. He says, you can't go to school. I'm taking you out of college. And I said, you're not taking me out of college. I said, I'm not leaving college. So I picked up the phone and I called. And my younger brother at the time called, answered the phone. And my younger brother told him, he's, I said, he's trying to take me out of college. And they, we put him three-way. And then my dad, my, my brother goes, what do you want to do? I said, I want to leave. I said, I want to leave. I said, He's, he's hitting me. I want to leave. So my brother called my uncle who lived uh, in a different borough. I took a cab. I stayed at my uncle's house for three days. I was hoping, hoping, I think I, I was hoping someone else would take me out of the situation that I could not take myself out of. Because all I needed to do, by the way, is call my parents and tell them, hey, mom and dad, I'm getting hit. Oh, and let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Every conversation I had with my parents was being listened to. I, I couldn't trust... And I was worried about the fact that, oh my God, I'm gonna get hit that night. So what do I do? And I didn't have the I didn't have the the courage to call 911. I went to my uncle's and and my dad was like, Oh, we're taking my daughter home. We're gonna book a flight for her. We're gonna leave. And my uncle, they sat down with my uncle and they begged my uncle, he'd never do this again. You know, he's just he's 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 stressed out, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't know what to do. The mahal is not making any excuse that they can give, they couldn't make. And so my uncle talked my dad into me going back to him. So I went back to him. That was the first time. Can we mention the fact that when when a victim calls her parents or his parents for the first time, whatever, 
the parents don't know about the 20 other beatings that you've had prior to that or the 30 other beatings they just look at it like this was an isolated incident he must have been stressed whatever excuse they give your parents oh that's the reason why just give them another chance they don't know the history of your marriage at this point they only know about just that instance yeah and i'll tell you to this day my mom and dad my mom or my dad don't know the full incident full hand what i went through and I think that's normal because a lot of people don't tell their parents the whole situation because you don't want to stress out your parents because the stories you're sharing, I'm sorry, it's really heavy. Like we were just like crying right now after what you were saying. I just had to literally kept wiping my tears away because I've heard these stories. People live through these stories. And the fact of the matter is I don't think any, any parents know the whole entire story because it's so hard to just sit there and face your parents and tell them, this is what I went through. Do you think your parents are going to be like, well, okay, cool. Like, you know, you, at least you made it out alive. That is going to weigh heavy on their hearts. Yeah, they're going to carry that around. Especially our Arab moms. Oh my God, that could literally kill them. Like I'm literally saying like th that is not something that you just sit there and you have a conversation with your parents. So, yeah, you know. I think the closest person, though, I think the only people that knew in detail or maybe my sister and two close friends of mine, right? That that knew exactly the day-to-day -day what was going on because I needed to vent. And to my sister, I would tell her certain things I would leave out because I knew what my sister would do. My sister would immediately call my dad and my dad would, my either between my dad or my brothers, they would kill him. I, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here in, in a marriage that I, again, I'm dealing with the fact that how do I leave? How do I officially leave? And oh my God, and if I left, what are people going to say? Oh, Allah, this is the person that they fell in love with each other. And look what happened, right? I was worried about what people would say. And, and every, with every black eye and every bruise. And of course, people would know because the sad truth is his mom would pride herself on telling people that we're not happy. Pride herself on saying that we're not happy. And then you have me sitting there thinking, telling people, oh, no, we're good. Everything's good. And I'm making excuses. I mean, I think uh, one excuse I used that I fell on the snow and I landed and that's how I got my black eye, right? Oh, I, you know, I slammed myself. There was just so many incidents that I would make excuses to other family members why. The sad truth is, is his other family members, his extended family members liked me. And because I was taking care of his grandmother, had a lot of respect for me and they hated that. I go back to him and I'm pregnant now with my son. And of course the hitting doesn't go away. There was actually one incident where um, a wedding that we had gone to and I put my, my jewelry with, after, after the wedding, we decided to go hang out with friends. And so when I got home, his parents were living, were asleep. One of the things that my dad advised me of, about may he rest in peace, is yeah, but go get a safe deposit box and put your jewelry. So I was told, no, you don't need to put it in a jewelry, in a safe deposit box. We have a safe deposit box at home, we'll put it here. So they had all my jewelry. I got home and I took my the hat and I put it on the counter and I got up and I went to school. When I got home, he was sitting in a car and he said to me, "What did you? why did you leave your jewelry out? As if he forgot that we both came home late. He said, someone will come up and steal it. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, who would come into your parents' house to steal your house? Your house is diamond. Like, this, your mom is there. Who's going to come in and steal it, go to my room? We're going back and forth. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then he had mentioned that his brother saw me talking to a guy in class, in class. And how could I be talking to a guy in class? So now I have two incidents. I left the jewelry out and now I'm supposedly talking to a guy. I'm in class and the guy asked me a question and I turned around to answer his question. What do you think my ex did? So I'm sitting in a car with him and I told him what? Because at this point, if someone says hi to me outside, I'm not even saying hi to. Because his brother's at the same college and I don't want to take anything. But I'm in class. I'm not thinking about it. So he tells me and I'm like, 
the guy asked me a question and I answered him. It was about a test. Grabs my hair, slams my head against the dashboard and I'm pregnant and I had to get up and go in a house. And what do you think I did? I pretended like nothing happened. Even though you can see the bruises on my face, even though you can see the, my lip is, is bleeding, busted. I walked in because I felt like, I hate to say it, I did not want to give her the pleasure. Like I want, I was lying to myself to say like, oh no, I didn't get beat up. Like I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of knowing that I got beat up. Even though we're, I'm lying to myself. Like I was more worried about the fact that her opinion of me versus my own safety. Because the last thing I thought about was, was my safety. Last thing. So I go in, that was one incident. He had, he hit me like two weeks before I got, before I had my son. Uh, when I did have my son, <laughs> he wasn't there because how could he be in the same room with his wife? Because God forbid, if he saw the birth of a child, he'll never have, because it's been rumored that when a man sees the birth of a child, that he'll never have, a, he'll never want to have you know, sleep with me again. Oh my goodness. I feel like they're like so freaking backward. He thought up now, like Siti didn't even have this stuff. I gave birth to my son. I came home. My mom, because I gave home, I gave birth to my son two weeks early. My mom had already booked her ticket to come visit me, to stay with me. Said I was living still with my in-laws. So I had come home and my ex, despite anything, he is very, he liked his shirt ironed. You guys have to understand, like I had just given birth. I was in a lot of pain. Next morning, the second time I heard... I hear the grandmother saying, Again, second time. The person who's hungry comes out and eats. I'm brought up with my mom, my mom, any of my sisters that give birth, or my sister-in-law. My mom goes and spends close to 30 days at their house. I don't need you to spend 30 days with me. But my mom makes them shoraba. My mom makes them the cinematic kripa. I mean, she makes them, she does not let them get off the bed because realistically, your body, when you give birth, it really does take six weeks. Like, you got to take it easy. I'm at the hospital. I stay with the hospital one day. The day after I got home, I'm back to being Cinderella all over again. My mom arrived, and to this day, she tells you, I could not believe that my daughter was taking the two weeks out, not even less than two weeks. Daughter was cleaning up the whole house, like as if she just didn't have birth. My mom got up in the morning and made us breakfast. I, as I iron and we're sitting down eating breakfast, I get lectured in front of my mom. How in the world did I allow my mom to get up and make breakfast? And I wasn't woman enough to get up and make breakfast. I was the one that I just had baby, a baby 10 days ago. And I'm being lectured in front of my mom. And I think that was worse for me. Hearing my mom see me being lectured, I hated the look of my mom's face. Because my mom looked like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And now my mom is defending me and I didn't want my mom to defend me. And I started crying and, and my, I'm, I'm crying and my mom is telling me, nobody deserves your tears. So your mom at this point sees the situation that you're in. She And you also now for yourself, you see that a baby didn't solve anything. A baby didn't make him kinder to you. A baby didn't make his family kinder to you and help you out. They, nothing changed about them. You're at the point where you're physically abused. You're psychologically messed up as well to the point where you're not even taking yourself out of the situation because you just don't know how you're now also just caring about what your mom thinks of you, what other people think of you outside of this, outside of the abuse. You, you mm -hmm. kind of don't want to even mm -hmm. also feel belittled by them. Yeah. And they actually, so now not only did they have control, but now they can use the control over my son over me. Can we talk about that? Yeah. So there was an incident, uh, an incident at uh, my son's first birthday. 
And of course, so you have to understand, throughout this whole thing, I'm getting hit, right? It's my son's first birthday, and my son is super, super fat. And this kid is not only is he fat, but he's like lazy. He's he's not even walking, so he's crawling. And he's so I pick him up and I put him in a the little walker because I don't want him dirty his outfit. Um, God bless him. I remember my my father getting mad because I did that because I didn't I didn't he, I didn't listen to him. I didn't listen to him and let let my son do whatever he wants on the floor. Next morning after the birthday party, I'm cleaning up and I get a call. And my father-in-law tells me that how could I disrespect him? And I said, how? I said, say anything. And I, I, you have to say, like, I, I don't want to get hit. So I'm watching everything I'm doing. He said to me, you didn't listen to me when I told you to leave your son to play. I just want you to know I could take your son away from you. What does that do to you at that point? When somebody is threatening to take your son away, not only are they abusing you, but now they're also taking your son away. Because now I'm getting it from every end, right? And I'm standing there, and it's one of those old phones with the, of course, we're out of, so it's like a whole cord, so we can clean up the whole house while we're holding the phone. <laughs> and I'm standing there in between the kitchen and the dining room, and I'm bawling. Because now the only joy I have is my son. The only reason, like, I, there are mornings I don't want to get up. I would rather die have to deal with the shame or whatever maybe but he gave me a purpose and for for me to feel like you're threatening me with my child you don't have the power because you know again he's he's passed away now my my father-in-law so god rest his soul and believe it or not it's god's mercy that towards the end we were that i was that he was he was able to before he passed away that we were able to kind of get a connection because i feel like god had mercy on his soul because he could not die with what he did to me because he wasn't a he himself I felt was abused I hate to say what my mother-in-law did what my mother-in-law wanted so either way so now he's threatening me with my son my ex hears that I told his dad I didn't listen to his dad all I did was take my son and put him in a walker at this point I feel like they're looking for things you're kind of walking on eggshells making sure that you're doing everything perfectly and they'll still nitpick at every detail everything that you do I swear to you that was that's it I'm going to find a reason to get her, to just basically get in her trouble, knowing, I, you know, misery loves company. I don't, I feel like they, they got pleasure somehow, some way from getting hit and from me getting yelled at. Did you leave at that point again? No, the second time I left, we had, so we moved out. Uh, we moved out on our own. By then, my parents had heard that he was beating me. When my parents would ask me, I said, no, 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 it's not that bad. I'd lie. I physically, I lied to my parents. And so we moved out on our own. And I thought, Alhamdulillah, I won't have the parents' influence in my life anymore. I won't have every eye looking at me. I can live in peace. I can do what I want with my son. I can have friends over. Because by the way, I wasn't allowed to have friends over. So I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. They weren't allowed to come to my house. So we move out. I'm thinking, Alhamdulillah, we're good to go, right? He then tells, um, there was Aid. I get an incident where I'm supposedly at a party. I shook someone's hand with like the tip of their fingers, which anyone that knows me, I believe in a firm handshake. I get home, he gets home that night and he tells me, I can't believe that you shook my Khalti's hand that way. You disrespected Khalti, blah, blah, blah. He beats me up. He throws me down the stairs because we had stairs. But luckily for me, there are only five stairs, guys. Wow. Yeah, so there's a nice thing because there's five and they're carpeted. The bruises are not that bad. It's sad that I, I, I don't want to make humor out of it, but 
for my own sanity that's what what i did everybody can cope with it in their own way so yeah. don't it's okay this yeah. is how you cope with it this is how you cope with it and then oh and so when we moved out on the weekends i had to drop my son they would come pick up my son i would not have my son for the weekend that's not okay oh. that so i didn't want to go to their house i didn't want to be around them these are i don't i don't i don't want i don't want to be you know they're hateful i don't want to be around them i don't want to talk to them well no i'll never forgive i will never forget it when we moved out to the when we moved out one of the people that i thought only people that i thought i had that had my back i found out she stabbed me in the back and she lied about something i didn't do and it came out that she lied so my ex was on the phone with his mom and she told him he's you're not a man you're not a man because you can't keep control over your wife and he's yelling and she's belittling me and I can hear her cursing at me. So I went upstairs and I have my son in with me and one of the pieces for my that I we had bought on our honeymoon broke and I saw it and it was it's nothing, but I saw it broke and maybe I saw a reflection of our marriage and I started crying. He had two best friends. To this day I'm so thankful for them. They walked in. Why are you with him? His two best friends. Why are you with him? leave and I didn't and it comforted me they even put that piece together and I kept it because I just even though it was shattered and it wasn't anything that you could keep around in the house because you could totally tell it's been broken I kept it as a memory for myself now I'm living in this house and on the weekends I have to they come and they take my son for two to three days because he's not my son he's their grandson they kind of have again this psychological control over you to even like you said and it, it broke my heart when you said that was your only joy which is your son so somehow some way they've even seeped into that they've somehow put their control even over your child the one thing that you felt was yours the one thing that you felt like you were well the one person i don't want to say thing but the one person that you felt connected to because you don't have your family and you definitely don't have his family yeah no no so i i'd left we moved out again. By then, I'm not talking to them at all. I'm not now. I'm now. I'm at the point where I don't want to talk to them. Or let me take it back. They don't talk to me, because I wasn't at that point. I wasn't strong enough. They're not talking to me. Which, believe it or not, I was happy with it. So there was one incident where he was hitting me, and I try to run out of the house. And it's like an old, you know, the two stories houses. And he's taking me and he's slamming me from wall to wall, from wall to wall. And one of the things that he also liked to do is he. I'm very claustrophobic to this day. He would put his hand over my mouth and to, and so he would lay me down and he'd be on top of me where his knee is on my leg, on my hand, and he'd put his hands over my mouth. So now I can't breathe. He's very close to me. I'm, I'm, I'm having like, like panic attacks. So I grab, I'm trying to pull his hands away. So for years, I had scratches that on my face he would tell people that I scratch myself, that I did this to myself, not realizing I'm doing this because I can't breathe. Fast forward, so my brother calls me and my mom calls to speak to me and I answer the phone and I just he had just left and he had just hit me. And my mom goes, Marhaba Yamma. I said, Marhaba Yamma. She said, she heard my voice. She goes, what's wrong? I said, nothing, nothing, Yamma, nothing. Yamma, what's wrong? I said, nothing. So what is she, Yamma? And she goes, Darabek. My brother heard that grabbed the phone and said to me, what are you going to grow up? So I love him with all my heart, but I felt like I was going to attack all over again. Just call the cops. I said, no, Just call the cops. I said, no, my brother-in-law from California called 911. My sister just got beat up by her husband. 
She refuses to call the cops. I'm calling the cops. The cops came and they said, do you have anywhere to go? I said, yes. Alhamdulillah. My first, you know, subhanAllah, God puts people in your life that even when you're at the worst, he puts, you don't need 10 people. You just need one solid person. He put this solid person in my life. And when I felt like I had no one, her and her family took me in. So that my girlfriend, I said, I do. I called her up and she knew what was going on with me. Her parents knew and her mom was like, Ahlo Sahla, bring her now. So I went to their house. I stayed with their house until my dad and my brother came. When my dad and my brother were supposed to sit down with the family and said, like, you can't do this. Like, you need help and pick me up. My in-laws refused to speak to them. My parents put me on a plane. I did go to the to the precinct. And I remember sitting in the precinct and the cop telling me, you're going to press charges. And I said, no, all I want is the ability to just take my son out. If I take my son out of the the, the state, because he kept on telling me every time that I would take, if I try to leave, that I'm taking my son and his kidnapping. Mm. So let's make it clear. There's no such thing to any woman out there listening. It's your child. There's not kidnapping if you take him and you leave. It's not, it's not kidnapping. There's no such thing. If you leave, if you're in California, you're in New York, and you go to your parents in Ohio, you take your child with you, it's not kidnapping. So they would put the fear of God in me that I was kidnapped. I was going to take my son. And so for certain incidents, there was stuff that that fear that they would keep my son away from me. You just never thought you didn't want to jeopardize your relationship with your son or have the, somebody have the ability to take your son away from you. So this is why at this point of you being pregnant, of you having a child and everything like that, you're trying everything in your ability to it's it's sad to the point where you're you're not telling on him that he's beating you because you don't want that to jeopardize the fact that they could take your son away from you yeah so yeah. they've also yeah i mean that's what i was mentioning earlier that's so sad so i'm sitting in a precinct and i'm asking the police officer and he says press charges and i said no he said press charges I said no because i did not even know you could see the bruises you can see the thing i didn't want to press charges so the police officer gets a hold of him and says, we have your wife here. My brother and my dad are next to me. And he says, oh, yeah. So what he did is he tells a police officer that he went and sued for custody of my son. So while I'm in sitting in my girlfriend's house crying, worrying about him, and I refused to put charges against him in the precinct, he had already gone to the courthouse to take custody over my son. So I, so the police officer sits to me and says to me, you're here crying. I can see the abuse. I can see the bruises and you're defending him. He's trying to take your child away from you. When he said that to me and that he had actually did it, I said, go ahead and arrest him. But of course now I have to go and identify him. So of course he's in a precinct with a paper that he, that he went to sue me for custody. And the police officer, God bless him, he was a smart man. He tells me, you need to, he has him in a room, and he goes, I need you to identify him so we can arrest him. It's okay. So he takes me in, and he lets me see him from where they're at, and I am bawling. I'm crying that I, I am doing this to the man that I love. That just shows you that you don't, your, the control that they had over me was mentally, physically, I was done. Like, I had, I, I had no shakhsiya. I, I have no personality. So anyone that says, why would you not leave? You don't know what's right and what's wrong. You don't know. You're in a midst of, of like you're in a room of dark darkness. You don't know what's going on in front of you. So I'm crying 
and he's the police officer's looking at me like, and I don't know if he's dealt with these situations, you know, but he's like, he gets it. So I go in, my dad puts me on a plane with my son and immediately sends me back to California. I get to California. When I get to California, I found out I'm pregnant. Again. With my second child. We talked about that. There was a time that I, I um, he had thrown throw me down the stairs and punched me. And to, I immediately started bleeding. So I, he would not take me to the hospital. I called the doctor and he would not take me to the hospital because he didn't want to, because the doctor says, it sounds like based on when you had your last cycle, it looks like you may have been pregnant. You may have had miscarriage. Wow. So he didn't want to go take me to the hospital to identify 100% that I had a miscarriage because then he had denied, now I have reason. And then God forbid, they would see the bruises on my back and bruises on my face in between. So I, I had my first son. I had the, I let's just say for whatever, a miscarriage. Then I found out I had my, now I found out I'm pregnant with this child. And now if you're more vulnerable, now I have, so my son, my older brother is telling me, you have to have, you have to have an abortion. And I said, no. And my brother goes, you already have one child to deal with. How do you deal with two? And I said, I can't. Again, I'm not one. I'm very, I'm pro-choice. I don't, I don't know, it's not that, whatever it may be, but I personally would not do it. And for me, I felt like God, this child was not, it's not his fault. So I could not physically did, do it. Again, no judgment on anybody that does, but I could not. So I said, no. I said, I, I, to me, I could not spit in God's face. And commit that. So I stayed. I I had, had gotten there in October. I, in December, he tells me uh, he starts having his friends touch base with me, telling me that he's getting help, that he no longer he sees that the reason why his parents are the reason why our problems. It's telling me that we're gonna move to another state away from his family. And like the fool that I was, I went back. And by the way, when I went back, I went back without my parents knowing. Oh, wow. My parents did not know I left and I got on a plane. My parents found out that I was in New York when I landed. My mom and dad refused to talk to me. My mom and dad were so upset because they could not see. Like later on, my you know my brother told me, you, you would have died. And yeah, and I'm going to be honest with you. If I stayed with him, I would have died. We moved to a different state. I have the baby. The baby is 34 days. Baby, we had, there was a family wedding. And I came from where I was staying back to where they live to attend a family wedding. Ten days before the wedding, I get there Tuesday, Wednesday morning. My son passes away. He's 34 days. I get to the hospital. I'm to the point where I, when, when they announced that my son passed away to me at the hospital, I said, I want to hold him. And my, my mother-in-law's like, no. And everybody's looking at her like, what? And she says, if she sees him, because since he died and he died and he was sleeping, the side of his face was blue. So she said to me, if she sees him now, she'll never want to have another child. You know, because mind you, you just lost your child. And the next thing you're thinking about is having another child, right? I said, I want to see my son. So I see my son. I hold my son. I go home. I'm in such amount of pain because I was breastfeeding. And subhanAllah, subhanAllah, God is, the things that are just a miracle that God puts us, whenever a child is hungry and you're sleeping and you breastfeed, the minute you start to produce milk, you know, 10 minutes later, the baby's going to get up. So for me, I'm sitting there, I'm still producing milk. And every time I think, I think. Please take your time with this because 
offline, you told me and you opened up, opened up to me that you've just come to terms with this. I mean, this is years later and you've just come to terms with the fact that you've lost your son. Every time I cry, every time I, I thought, he's hungry. I would hold his blanket and they, they gave me two days, two days to grieve. And then I was not allowed to cry. Because if I cried, I would take away from the mer- from from the wedding coming up. I begged him to leave. I begged him. He had come, and I begged him. I said, I don't want to be here. I just want to go home. He said, no, you're going to ruin the wedding. And when he was there, he wasn't even with me. He wasn't even there with me. He wasn't supportive. He was with his friends, hanging out with his friends. He was not there with you at the hospital to just console you. I was in a different state when a baby had passed away when he from him. So when he got there, he didn't even stay with me. He didn't stay with me. The only compassion I felt was from my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law, who their wedding was coming up. And they just took me over. They just, because I wasn't allowed, I would get yelled at. Why are you crying? He's only 34 days. It could be worse. You can have this. And I'm not allowed to grieve. And basically, in my mind, I have to put this to the side. So recently... In October, I went back, and for the first time ever, I saw my my son's grave. And so for me, the reason why it's hard is because now I'm dealing with his, now I can feel like I'm dealing with his death. So now I'm grieving because I felt like I betrayed him. I betrayed my son because I allowed others to make a decision to allow me to grieve for someone that was mine. So I go back to where I'm at, and I have to put the bed away. I have to put his clothes away on my own. When I had come back from the hospital, I had just buried him. I just found out he was dead. I said, do you mind if you call my mom and dad and let them know that my son died? She said, no, you call them. I had to pick up the phone. I had to tell my mom and dad. So I called my sister and I said, hey, I called my parents' house and I said, hey, is mom with you? And me with you? And she said, yeah. And I said, is she sitting down? She said, she goes, what's wrong? And I said, my son passed away. My sister started screaming. She put to my mom on the phone. My mom is bawling. My parents were still upset with me, right? They were, I'm sorry, my parents were upset with me because I left. But my parents loved me too much to leave me alone. So within, I had, I was in December, within February, my parents were, I picked up the phone and my parents talked to me like it's nothing because they needed me to understand that I, there was still a door ready for me to come back. I, so I'm now, I'm, I lost my son. I started working. He started taking all my resources. My money's gone, by the way. I'm not allowed to know my paycheck. There's no direct deposit, remember, right? Back in the day, I'm a little older than you ladies. I have to give him my paycheck. He would take my paycheck. I wasn't allowed to do my eyebrows because $8 was too much to spend. I need to learn how to learn how to do it. I wasn't allowed to get my nails done. Oh, and the times that I was allowed to get my nails done, guess what? When? Is when he would he would beat me up so bad that he would say to me, "Here, let me take you. Let me get you pampered. Let me spend $30 on you." I was going I was working and I got pregnant. I got pregnant with my child, my last child. And the beating was still there. They were still hitting. Now he took on drinking. And now he's not only is he bad enough that he's drinking, 
but now he's an alcoholic. So now I have to deal with getting calls to pick him up from the police station. I have to have him drunk coming home in the middle of the night. Um, he knew that I would have work the next day. He would do stuff like I would cook and he'd say, oh, this is, and he would come and mess up the whole kitchen and I'd get up in the middle of the night. So I eventually left him again. So when I left him, after I had my son, no, while I was pregnant with my son, my mother-in-law gave me the best advice she's ever given me. She said to me, if you and him are having problems, why would you continue to have kids? SubhanAllah, the best advice. So immediately after I had my son, I immediately put the IUD. And I put that sucker on for 10 years. Because I was like, there's no other child. I'm not going to bring another child into this. I need to be more responsible. Because work was giving me a little bit confidence. So I left him again. And I came back and I stayed here with my parents for a good, almost a year. Begging my parents, I've changed, blah, 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 blah. I miss my kids. I miss you. You know, my friends are helping me. I'm seeing these things. So I left and I came back to him. I started working. I went back to work. I left, but realistically, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Every time I left, I came back and I was still love for him. This time I came back and I'm going to tell you, I wasn't like I loved him, but I emotionally, I was just, I was dead. I was dead. It's like now you're kind of coming back to him for your kids more so than for you both because th this is what an abuser does. They feed you with this guilt. That's the only thing that they know how to feed you with, this guilt and how to just demean you to that point and belittle you. But he fed you with the guilt like, how can you take my kids away from me? I'm changing for the better. Give me another chance. And my kids were young and they missed their dad. So, of course, uh, he has me borrow money from my dad. So he was taking my whole paycheck and I said, he ended up borrowing money from my dad and I was so embarrassed that he could do that. So I said, no, I'm taking over the finances. So what I started doing then is immediately I took care, took over it. I paid all the bills. So now for four years, I'm paying all the bills. The house is, there's not, nothing goes disconnected. I didn't have any, like my electricity, my phone, nothing is disconnected. So I'm working, there's beatings, but I hate to say it. I started love putting the level of beatings, like, you started rating your beatings. Rating basically. it. I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting a ten rating in, in in beatings. I was getting a five. I was getting a slap across the face. I get a backhand. He would still continue to. The worst was the putting over my face because he knew that's what that's what it would kill me. My girlfriend. I took over the finances and my girlfriend, my best friend, who I told her I'm doing the podcast and she's so proud of me. It was March. His dad got really sick. And I took care of his dad. His grandmother was sick. I took care of his grandmother. His grandmother passed away. Then his dad, for the last two years before he passed away, him and I became very tight. Right? And he found his own way of, like, trying to find a way to ask me to forgive him in his own way. He never said, forgive me. But it is what it is. But he stood for me in a way. His way was he started seeing the ugliness of his son, especially because it became the drinking. So March of 2006, I'm sitting with my girlfriend. I, I had just called her in the middle of the night because he was drunk and he was hitting me. And I called her. I said, I don't know what to do. She came with her dad and I had called the cops. And the cops said, I said, I want him out of the house. And the cops said, well, he's intoxicated, but he's intoxicated in the house. It was, if he was intoxicated outside, I can arrest him, but he's intoxicated in the house. I can't do anything. I said, just get him out of the house. So I called my girlfriend's dad. 
and they come. And the next day, my girlfriend, uh, a week later, we have her sister's birthday. We're having lunch for her sister's birthday, and she says, I need to tell you something. And she tells me, I love you with all my heart. I need to tell you that I never want to hear you tell me any more of the beatings. I don't want you to call me. The next call that you're going to call me is when you say, I'm ready to leave. And leave for good. She said, because every time I get pick up your phone or I get to pick up a phone from the cops, I'm worried that it's going to be, he just killed you. So in the midst of this, there was a family friend of hers that had just lost her life because her husband hit her with a, you know, what's that thing that you change the, the tire with? Slams her, he slams her in the head, immediately busts her head, she dies. He does the same thing to her daughter. He lost a daughter, a wife, and the other girl, became, and his other daughter has to do with the fact that she just lost her mom and her sister. So my best friend just, reality hit her. Like, this is going to happen to her. This is a person we call each other every day, twice a day. For a week, I refused to talk to her. I got to the point where I hated her that week. How could she do this to me? How could she tell me that she's not going to, I'm the victim here. But believe it or not, it's exactly what I needed. So within the same time, he came home late at night drunk. We live in a big house. He shuts the door. But you know, when someone's intoxicated, they're hitting themselves. I'm sleeping in a bed and my son is sound asleep beside me. Sound asleep, knocked out. The door opened. My younger son, subhanAllah, I feel like this was God's work. My younger son grabs my hand and squeezes it. I look to him to see if he's up. He's still knocked out. I feel like that was God telling me it's not about you anymore. I just had I just had my best friend tell me this. My sisters on the other end says you gotta leave. You gotta you gotta start saving money and leave. And now God sends me the message through my son. I looked at my son and I said, Oh my God. It just hit me like my kids are impacted. I decide to call through, use the work therapist, you know, the 800 number that they give us for support. And they put me on with this therapist and the therapist, I tell her what's going on. She has me write like storyline of how my marriage started and abuse. And then she said, the next session when we're on the phone, I want you to read it to me. So the next time I read, and I read like pages and pages of it. When I read it to her, I couldn't even go past the first page, couldn't even pass halfway. And I started bawling, crying. And I said to her, what type of woman am I? I'm weak. I can't believe that I've done this for 13 years, left him four different times. What type of woman am I? And now my kids are impacted. And she said to me, you have for 13 years, basically, I've been conditioned. It's a breakdown of my, if it's not just the physical, it's the mental abuse, it's the threats to believe like this was the only choice. This is what the life was like for me. I accepted that this was my reality. It is harder for a person that's dealing with this, she said, to create a change and leave, because to leave that would make mean that I would have to say, guess what, you need to change. And it's not about him anymore. It's about me changing and saying, I don't deserve this. Believe it or not, staying in the relationship is the easy part because you're used to it. The harder decision is leaving. So sure enough, I started saving money. Let's say if I was making 2100 I would say I would make 19 And I had two girlfriends at the time, and whoever was around me was the one that would collect the money. So secretly, you were saving money 
and handing it off to your friends for them to save it outside of your home so he never finds the stash or anything. Because by the way, he did. He would look for stuff. Because now he's an alcoholic. He now he's the money, he's yeah. alcoholic. Yeah. And by the way, because also the money that one time, there was money that we were saving. We were saving it in my son's, in my son's name because we thought we were going to touch it. And he opened it up. And I would put money in that account, put money in that account, put money in the account. And that account had reached a certain a nice amount. So one day, for some reason, I said, let me just look at the balance. And I looked and I said, oh, my God, the balance was nothing. Oh, my God. So I called and I was like, what happened to the money? And I'm putting this money to the side. He said, oh, my brother needed to borrow money, blah, blah, blah. And I started crying. I was like, you just took money. The, again, you want to laugh. 30 minutes later, I get flowers delivered to my job. And I said, wow, I just paid for my flowers with my own money. Because basically, uh, he took my money. Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't trust putting it in a bank. I didn't want the statements to come in home. So I trusted it old school, which was my two girlfriends. And in, in the time, in the meantime, which I'm still getting heat. Uh, I'm still getting beat. And I'm, the alcohol is still there. I was, I, in my mind, I was still putting stuff. I said a packaging and stuff and putting it in the khazana. A year prior, by the way, he almost died. He almost died because of his alcohol. Your alcohol killed you. And he said, yes. I said, didn't the doctor tell you that if you continue drinking, you're going to die? And so I turned to her for the first time ever in 13 or 14 years. I defended myself and I said to her, when your son kills someone, kills someone in a car, it's going to be on you. And you need to tell that to your grandkids. And I walked out and I told him, I'm going to go see this sweet old Yemeni lady that needed help. And I visited her in the hospital while they were in the room with him because they could not, my father-in-law, rest his soul, was already dead. They could not grasp what was going on. Fast forward, we, I leave him. I, June comes up. I find one-way tickets for $125 for me and my kids. 2006, I left. A year later, he came to beg me for forgiveness to ask, and I couldn't. I said, I never, I can't. I, I can't look at you and not see what you allowed yourself and allowed others to do to me. So over the years after I left, you know, I saved, God bless my alhamdulillah, I had such a supportive family too. But we also live in the U.S., and we have also a big support system, believe it or not. Even if you don't have family, you have a big support system. So I came here, I stayed with my brother for a little while. Then I moved out to a one bedroom. I had my boys staying with me. My, my boys lived in that, stayed in the room and I slept on the couch. And to me, that was my heaven to come home and not have to deal with anything. And over the years, over the years, I was able to find it in my heart. God is so merciful. And I think he's merciful also on me to say to me, Forgive yourself, because I blamed myself for a lot of years for the fact that I allowed my kids to be impacted with it. And also, he gave me the strength to not see that all men were that way, and then to, at the same time, to, like, forgive. Because for me, when I've forgiven them, I always say, they didn't, they didn't punch me. They, uh, they pushed things with my ex. But eventually, at the end of the day, he did it. But even even when it comes to him, and I know it sounds odd, I don't feel any hate for him. I don't feel any hate. I don't hate hate for him. I don't hate for his family, because for me, I really in my heart, I've moved on. I've healed, because I feel like I do not. They do not deserve my anger, or my hate, because I have so many things to be blessed with. The fact that I'm alive, is its own blessing.
The fact that I have two wonderful boys is a blessing. The fact that I can speak to you guys is a blessing. I was able to make peace with them. And, you know, there's no, there's no relationship between, I believe it or not, between my kids and them. Just my kids are not at the point where they can forgive them because, and I don't tell my kids. My, I have, my kids have not heard in detail what happened. I don't want to make my kids have hate because they don't deserve it. They don't, des- they don't deserve it. This is one of the reasons why we wanted to do it anonymously, because you didn't want this to impact your kids in any way. You wanted to be able to say your story to help other women out there. Yeah. And I commend you for wanting your sons to make their own decision about their father, their own decision about their grandparents on their father's side. And it takes a lot because you and I, Zena, said this, you know, you th- it's easier to hate. It truly is. We think that way. We think yeah. it's easier to hate. Let me hate this person forever and ever because that's what they deserve. That's the least that I could do for all the abuse he's given me. But the thing is, you're only hurting yourself because, Zena, you said this, you're carrying this hate with you. And you'll yes. continue it to carry the hate. It eats away at you. It eats away at you. It will eat away at you. Around. You're at the point where now you're abusing your own self mentally when you carry this hate. This person is free. He's, he's not in your life. He did the damage that's it but for you to carry the hate in your heart because of him that's only going to do more damage for you so I commend you turning your transitioning from a victim to a survivor and to also find that mercy in your own heart that Allah has given you to forgive this person this monster that has done so much to you and mashallah you're just such a strong person because I think even people don't understand like the weight of even saying this story it's not even easy it's not because there's a lot of times you broke down within us saying the story and us crying on our end because it's very heavy this isn't something that should be normalized abuse should never be normalized should we have these conversations more often yeah because you don't know who you're saving right now absolutely absolutely I'm so proud of you for getting to the point where you can share your story Um, And I know that reliving those moments that you were just talking about obviously cannot be easy. So thank you so much for being able to to say that today. I think of you as not a victim, but as a hero because of what you're doing right now, sharing your story and letting people know that they do have other means to get out of their situations and to to put themselves first and to, to focus on their own safety and happiness and not worry about who says what or what comes after that. And I want to thank the two of you because I think that, again, we're in a different time. But I think that just for me, just like it was for me to find two people in my life, sorry, four solid people at different points in my life that when I was at my worst, I God said to me, hey, guess what? You're not alone. You have someone. And they were able to give me that strength that I needed to step out and make changes. I think that I so commend you guys on what you're doing because to any of the women listening out there, it is not your fault. You have nothing to be shameful for. If you feel ashamed or you feel like I can't tell anyone, that's normal because that's his, that's their job of breaking you down. But I just need them to understand that bad it is, it could be, it is, it can be so much better. And it's not about, about me having the best car or the best house. It's me having peace of mind, just having to be able to say, I can come home and not have to deal with that. To know that within yourself, you have that power. You can walk out, find a connection, find a local network. If you're working, reach out to your support system within your job, the hotline, because it's it's a outside person looking in and they will give you resources. Little by little, look within our community and know. And then also remember that God, this is not in any way what Allah wants for us. 
that God does not put us in these situations. And if anyone says to you that in Islam this is accepted, no, it's not. I went back. I I that I use that line myself. And actually, I I'm going to tell you something. I thank them for telling me that 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 untruth because I use that untruth to learn about my faith. And then I started learning more and more. So I feel like every time I learn something about my faith, they get good deeds because it's their ignorance that allowed me to go there. It's just because I, 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 you can't use that. You can't say it. It's not our religion. Our religion is God is not God is not ugly. It does not say just the worst thing that they can use. We live in a society that's going to judge you. And by the way, they're going to judge you if you stay and they're going to judge you if you leave. So why not leave and make your life better than stay in a relationship? Because that's not love. Love is respect. Love is honesty. Love is compassion. Love is not, I'm going to hit you and I'm going to buy you some flowers later on. It is never your fault. I don't care. Like I said, I said, for me, it was a love match and I, that still happened. For me, I didn't do anything majority of the time. Like 90% of the time, I never did anything. I never raised my voice or did anything for me to deserve that. And even if I did raise my voice, that still wasn't acceptable. You need to understand that it was still not acceptable. I want to also mention the fact that when, because I think this is this is also a question that you probably got asked so many times, and it's 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 the worst question you can ask somebody that was a victim is, well, why didn't you leave the first time? Why didn't you leave the second time? Why didn't you leave the third time? When you ask a victim this question, you know what you're doing? You're taking the blame away from the abuser and you're placing this blame on the victim at this point. You're, you're not even acknowledging the fact that this person was, should never have been abusing anybody. You, you're now focusing all your attention on the victim and you're blaming her or him for why did they stay? Why, why weren't you thinking straight? You weren't thinking at that point. You can agree to that. You weren't thinking because you were mentally abused as well, emotionally abused. This person knew what they were doing. They were very calculated from the very start. That's how domestic abusers are. They're yeah. not just like you said. And, and they take control of your mind so yeah, that you and, can't make those decisions for yourself. And it breaks my heart because I was reading some statistics. It says women from the age of 16 to 24 years old are three times more likely to get abused because you're very vulnerable. You're very young. You don't know yourself that well. You haven't come to terms to who you are, what you want to be. That is the worst question you can ask them. Why did you? Why are you staying? How could you allow him to do that to you? First of all, it's not like we said, oh, yeah, please, Habiti, I am looking forward to this. No, 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 no. What she should be asking is, what can I do to help? What do you need from me? Do you understand? Rather than ask them why they stayed, because realistically, we I cannot never tell you why I stayed. I can never tell you why I had such a supportive family and I still went back. I can't tell you. I can't give you reasoning because I. the only thing I could tell you is at one point I looked in the mirror and I did not recognize a person that was staring at me. I was not me. You can't ask them why they stay. You can't ask them why they continue to leave. What you need to ask them, what can I do to help you? What you need to do is, and if you're going to use an example of our faith, for the love of God, ask them, use the right way. Don't tell them, it's okay, God loves the patient ones. No, 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 no. You need to tell them God doesn't ask for you to do this, to be in this situation. You need to give them guidance to leave and say that, and you need to say, instead of saying to them, you know, respecting your husband and some people work. No, 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 no. What you need to tell them is Sayyidina Muhammad Sallallahu treated his wife with the utmost respect. Examples of the Prophet, peace be upon him, that give them that because it would never be 
never be. But don't throw back the religion and say, you know, you'll enter. I had, I literally one time had a sheikh tell me, sister, God loves the patient ones. And I said, I said, you know what, brother? That means God is going to have a red carpet laid out for me when I enter heaven. You need to find a way to find a way to be a source of support. If it's, do you need me to help you save $20 at a time? Do you need me to find you find a counselor out there? If you want to help a friend out there, reach out to resources yourself and have them ready when your friend is ready to leave. That's what you need to ask them. And to the and to the victim, all I can tell you is you have it in you. You need to just talk about a lot and say, God, give me the strength to leave. And if you have kids, you do it. If you don't do it for yourself, do it for them. Because the damage that you can do, if I can unwind time and never go back, because my older son, God bless, God bless him, the things that he holds in his heart are, are weighted very heavily on me. Because I have to ask forgiveness because he got to see that. So if you don't do it for you, you do it for your kids. If you don't want to do it for you, you do it for your mom and dad. Do it for the reason at least to get you out the door. And I promise you, I promise you, you're gonna find, you're gonna find sitting down and having a cup of coffee like the best thing, and without having to worry about that negative, physical, mental abuse that you have around you. And if, and if to the ones that are engaged or not, and you see the red flags, take them what they are. They're red flags. You would never cross a red light because you know you're going to get a ticket why would you go into a relationship with you know this, this this is not healthy that is such a great point you've seen your own red flags become uh, abuse physical emotional psychological abuse you never thought that these little red flags that you were able to sweep under the rug would just manifest themselves into this monster that trapped you in your house your own home and not only that you had nobody 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 that could support you can help you out and i think that's why when you're talking to somebody and if you have a friend and you have an inkling that he or she may be going through abuse be that guiding light for them because we kind of live in a society yes we live in the states but sometimes it's hard for victims to find support after leaving this is why they don't leave they stay in what they know you don't know what's going to happen to you after you leave you don't know if he's going to come after you when you leave that's also a factor 70 percent of murders happen after they actually leave and i hate to say the statistics because i don't want to scare anybody to from leaving i want them to leave but it's like we need to be that support system for this person we need to help them to get down get on their feet because majority of these women like you had this situation they don't have their own money they don't have their own finances this, mm -hmm. this the abuser is in control of their finances so when they want to leave they have not one dollar to their name not one dollar they don't get to that point where they can be in control of their finances even if the abuse is still around we still we need to work on being a better ally to yes. the women in our community who are going through things like this yeah i think i think that is our biggest thing and in a, in a support to come back and say to her come back and say okay within if we're not able to, to find resources outside that are able to support them and to give them the guidance to say to you, hey, if you need to put a restraining order, put a restraining order on it. Because the sad truth is, is step one is leaving, but that's the hardest. But realistically, it's a support system. So I think as a community, we need to be able to come back and say, what can we do to support them to come back in? Like, I don't need... How can we ease them back in slowly? Yeah, because the last thing is, is, is we're going to always have people talk and judge regardless. You're going to have them talk and judge. So why not talk and judge that you've done better? The same people that talked and judged me when I left are now people that come back and say, I commend you. Wow, mashallah. 
Your son just graduated from college. Wow, mashallah, your other one is in college. Wow, you pay your own bills. You're like a man. I really want to, you know, rewind. I said, do you remember what you said to me? Do you remember you said, why did you take the kids? Why did you leave the kids with him and not get married? And it was, we'll always have a comment out there that's being said, but that's all they are, the comments. The comments, they're not. If take it, if it's a if it's a remark that's not gonna heal you or do anything for you, in in one ear, out the other. But for us, I think just the fact that you know you have it out there. Yeah, this is the norm for you. You're used to this hitting and you think this is okay, but this is not healthy. But you have the ability to leave. And if you don't find support, for the love of God, DM you, DM the, the podcast. If you're in an area here in California, find a reason. I will find a source for you because we have our communities to get better at it. We don't want to just share stories just to share stories. We do want to provide resources and to help these women. And if it and it's 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 night and day between when you went through this and now if if somebody comes to us and they're going through this now you can easily easily just slide into our dms and we will be we'll there point you in the right direction yeah we will help you to the but look i want to be there for any woman that has gone through any abuse i want to be there for you 100 percent. you and i zayna both we want to be there for you there's there's no way that if a woman can come to me and tell me i'm dealing with this and not help her out or help him out whoever it is because this could, it could go both ways and for for any victim out there do not justify this abuse there's nothing to justify there's absolutely no justification in it whatsoever but i know when you're in it in that moment it's it's hard to see that way to think that way yeah, it really and something is. that you just mentioned um if you're worried about what people are going to say let them say it at least you're alive to hear them talk about you. Yeah. I'd rather be alive and, and hear people talk behind my back or make comments, but at least I know that I put my safety first and I am here because I did that. I truly laugh at people when they say remarks like that. Look, I've even been told like, you you only lasted a year in marriage. You could even like last longer. I'm like, if you only knew, but I'm not gonna, I, I have the ability to just write you off and write that statement off because God forbid you ever go through what anybody has ever gone through. There's reasons why people leave certain things. There's like, you know what I mean? But I, I really want to thank you so, so, so much. So thank you guys for having me. You're thank you for such a beautiful person. I, and I, I say this over and over again. It's, uh, it takes a lot to say a story. So for you sharing your story, I, you don't even know how many women you probably have helped right now. Inshallah. Inshallah. Like I said, you guys are doing such amazing work. Like I'm, I'm like, if I had daughters, this is what I want my daughters to do. The purpose of this creating this platform, we want we want to talk about these things, these hard hitting things that we hide, we tend to hide within our community. And this happens across all communities. A lot of communities hide these type of stories. You don't want to talk about it. You're uncomfortable. But no, I don't want to normalize abuse, but I want to normalize the conversations around abuse. That's so true. I want to be able to talk about this because sometimes it's so sad why a victim doesn't ever come out is because she feels like she's the only one going through this and she's not oh, yeah no and oh she, yeah and she feels like she's the one failing she must be doing something wrong because everybody's posting their perfect marriage online but here she is going through abuse it's, it's a different world now honestly yeah and we're friends unfortunately unfortunately and i don't say the religion because the religion is not the culture at all at all so, and I, that's why I keep telling my non-Muslim friends, and I tell them, if you only knew about our religion, I said, first of all, if you even read about our religion, I'm guaranteeing you right now, you're going to revert back to, you're going to go ahead and revert right back and become a Muslim. I will let you know that one, too. But our, our culture is so taboo, because unfortunately, believe it or not, our moms have gone through it. Do you understand? Our moms, our grandparents have gone through it, and we, we think that this is the norm, but this is not the norm. And to the family members of the abuser, 
if you sit there, what is that Arabic saying? That the person that is sitting there while wrong is being done, you're the devil in disguise. If you don't worry about that, the victim, you better worry about your son one day that he may do something to the point where you'll lose your son. Because I've seen family members where their fa their, their, the abuser is doing one guy I know that hit his wife with a with a TV. He's and God bless her, she was able to leave. Blinded her for two weeks. She couldn't see. He can't leave. By the time he leaves jail, his son is going to be 38 years old. Realistically, do you want to lose your son? And if this is what your son is doing, is not right. It is not. It's not very Muslim-like. You need to be able to step up and say no. You can't. So it's not just about helping the victim, but it's also making sure that you stand up to the abuser and tell them, because family members don't understand that also they have, they will lose their family members, either their sons, their brothers. So if you don't stand up to them and basically kind of let them know, if you don't care about the victim, then you need to care about your family members committing abuse, because eventually that's going to catch up with them. I completely agree with you. And that's such a great way to end this episode because I feel like, yes, the victim ends up leaving the abusive situation. So the abuse on this specific victim might stop, but the abuse in general, the cycle in general has not been stopped if the abuser is still continuing their actions of just, you know, finding their next victim. And this is an illness. This isn't somebody that just out of nowhere decided, oh, I'm just going to abuse this person because they're getting on my nerves. No, there's a lot of built up things within this person that we don't know anything about. And it, that's why it's coming out. You just you don't just get into a relationship and you become an abuser. There's there's other things that need to be healed before this person enters a relationship. That's so true. Like think about it when it comes to the mental health of this person. Help out your your son, your brother. Help out the people in your life that you think are committing these crimes because. There's an underlining reason why they're doing that. And I never want it to just be on the guys because I think that's something, it, it could go both ways. Yeah, and yeah, I think we, we could always address this. But your specific situation, it was you that was being abused. It was you dealing with somebody's son that they just didn't right his wrongs. They allowed him to commit the things that he committed. They were enabling him to do it. They basically. were enabling him. That's exactly as they know. And you can, you can enable someone to actually do good. And you can definitely, because we always say enabling is a negative point, like in this situation where you're enabling the abuser to think that what he is doing is right, and then blaming the victim for causing the abuser to do this, because realistically, there's no reason, there's no justification for what he's done. So when the victim leaves, in my situation, I left, I didn't press charges, I went on with my life, I was blessed enough that I walked out, and I survived it. But I think about, what about his next wife? His next wife may not be tolerant of what he's doing. So the next time he raises his hand, she may call the cops. So where do you come up and say, you got to help him as well? I'm not going to say, because I feel like I'm not going to justify and feel like he's so that sorry, but you said it. It's a mental health problem. Like we need to address it on both sides and we need to stop it because if you don't stop it, if you as a family member do not stop it for the abuser, I guarantee you there's going to be the next person. I think everything comes back tenfold as well. When 
they allow to see somebody like you getting abused by their own son you don't think that Allah somehow some way is going to make them taste the pain that you've tasted all these years I never would wish that on anybody but everything always comes back full circle Absolutely. so don't turn a blind eye on anybody in your family that is doing something wrong do not justify their actions it's completely wrong I just want to thank you so much for sharing such a heavy heavy episode or heavy conversation honestly this wasn't an easy episode to record to be honest on both ends no it's hard to see somebody like you in pain but it's also it kind of triggers other emotions within us but then you are reliving your trauma this isn't something that just went away just because you got away this is something that you're going to live with for the rest of your life but you said something so beautifully that you can dip into your past in order to help your future self your present self but never beautiful yeah yeah, she said it so well i'm sorry i took it out of your mouth if you want to share what you said (laughs) over the phone with me about dipping into your past so our 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 past in some ways can go both ways um sometimes we let our past uh dictate our life in a negative point because we hold on to the past but what we need to do is i've what i did is i kind of looked at my past and the, the stuff that i went through and i used that as a way to strengthen myself to do better and to pass it on to someone else so i feel like Allah is so merciful that basically, you know, when they say that he tests you and he, you know, it, it, whatever, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It does. I really do. I feel like as long as you're using your past to make yourself better, but don't constantly live in the past because you have to remember, it's not about you. You, it's not your fault. What the abuser did had nothing to do with you. You just happen to be the person in front of him or in front of her. You just need to make sure that at the same time, you use that leverage to better yourself some way and, you know, move it forward to make sure that you're not allowing your past to dictate your future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Just, I don't think we can thank you enough for sharing your story with us today. I don't know how many people you've helped probably with this episode. I'm. I, this was a very emotional episode. So thank you so much for sharing your story. I really hope that somebody listening to this will come out of this stronger and, you know, putting a lot of strength within themselves to also leave the situation because it can be done. Do not become, do not remain a victim. And then you don't know what's going to end up happening to you. It never ends well. It really never ends well. So thank you for sharing your story. I hope we can provide enough resources for whoever is listening. Um, Inshallah, that's the whole point of us sharing these stories is to provide resources to help women and not just ended it there just a story so thank you so much thank you thank you thank you guys for hosting it thank you for bringing aware to everybody else again the biggest your biggest decision to anyone listening is to leave that is the hardest decision that you'll make and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make it easier for you Wallahi, yeah. you just have to baby steps baby steps don't look at the bigger picture baby steps the biggest step is number one is leaving and everything else taken baby steps. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Thank we you, love ladies. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I so appreciate you. May God be with us and may God protect everyone that's out there. Inshallah. So as promised, you guys, we don't want to only just share stories on our podcast. We want to take things offline by providing external resources to our listeners. Um, We never know who's listening to our episodes, who's going through the same issue that our guest has gone through. And we want to make sure that we're helping him or her beyond sharing these stories. So we've actually had the privilege of talking to Sada Bawani, who is one incredible human being, honestly. I love her to that. She was actually on our uh, podcast. She was the episode where we discussed just 
just mental health and just being a Muslim um, therapist, which she was incredible at. She really just like opened our eyes to therapy and what to expect out of it and how important it is. Basically, she provided some resources for us that we will be sharing in the episode notes. And when we say episode notes, it's where you listen to our podcast episode. If you click on the details, when you go to that specific episode, there'll be a drop down. We'll show basically we'll talk about the entire episode but then on the bottom that's where we're going to provide all the resources with external links links. yeah yeah so some that we want to mention quickly on air would be the peaceful families project they're a national organization they're devoted to preventing domestic violence um, with a particular focus on muslim families majority of these resources are for muslim families or but again anybody can honestly seek their assistance there's also project sakina and then we also have the asian pacific institute on gender-based violence and then we have the khalees center which is incredible a lot of people know about them they're also like a spiritual wellness center um they basically apply the traditional islamic spiritual healing methods to modern clinical psychology and i find that incredible of course there's also the national domestic violence hotline and the number is going to be 1-800-799-7233 again we're going to provide all of these links in our episode notes we really hope that these resources can be of some help to everybody that's listening remember this is something traumatic and it does put a strain on your mental health so always seek out therapy when you need it talk to someone who is specialize in the field, utilize local jamas, local mosques, people who are trained on domestic violence situations, and search for local women shelters in your area. They can provide incredible opportunities, housing, they can help you find jobs, they can help you get back on your feet and be independent. There's more people out there that really, truly want to help you. It's just the first step is just admitting the fact that you are in an abusive relationship and wanting to seek the help. But also, if you are somebody who is working, just like our anonymous guest was, you can seek therapy through your work as well, and they can also help you. So there's resources all over, but inshallah, inshallah, this episode has helped you. Inshallah, these resources have helped you. And if you're somebody that's not going through domestic violence, but you assume somebody else is, just please send them this Share this, yeah, absolutely. But thank you again, once again, you guys, for listening to our episode. Inshallah, we catch you guys next week. Bye.